Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Before I became a believer, I used to be the master of strategizing for evil. And this is, this is no joke. I would often plan to do wrong. Like you can think of a, a planned bank heist, how they thought about the different strategies to pull it off. That's basically my life before I was a believer in doing evil. I would think of ways, creative ways, create strategies to do wrong. And one of the things that I would do wrong is uh, I was, I was a, a cheater in school. I, I did not want to study ever. And so I would cheat. I would, I would sit along with my friends and we would look on to other people's papers or we would, we would write answers on our hands or we would slip uh, the answers in our, in our long sleeve shirts. I was, I was a, a strategizer on how to cheat in school. And my ultimate cheat was I was trying to figure out how to cheat on the ACT. I had taken the ACT, and just to let you know how bad I did on the first test, that test would not even have gotten me into Arkansas Tech University. That's where I ended up going. And it, uh, that first score was not good enough, and so I, I had received a scholarship from Arkansas Tech but they said, you can't come unless you get a better ACT score. So I had to think of a way to cheat on the ACT. So I asked my friend to take the test for me. And we came up with this elaborate plan, or at least I did. And this is what it looked like. I told him to go to the office, because we had a very huge school of thousands. So go to the office, tell them you lost your ID, and you need a new ID with your picture. And when they ask you what your name is, you tell them my name. So we got the ID taken care of. I pick him up. I drive him to the test site on a Saturday morning. And I told him, I said, look, I'll pay you a certain amount to take the test. And I'll pay you greater amounts depending upon the, the score you get. So I waited in the car all day while he went in there and took the test. I was so nervous. He went in four or five hours, took the test, came out, went home. It was done. Got the test back in the mail way beyond my first test score. I was so excited. I'm like, I get to go to Arkansas Tech now. And so I had the ACT score. And then a, a while later, weeks later, actually, I get a letter from the ACT people. They say, when we ever see a score with, that is that different, we investigate. And through our investigation, we have discovered that the signature from the first test compared to the second test were different. And you cheated. Totally busted. And then I spent weeks and months after that figuring out how to strategize and cheat some more because that was my life. That's the way I operated. And that's the way that many of you operated before you became a believer. That's just the way the world functions. We try to think and strategize ways to get the edge to cheat and to get ahead with regard to sin, with regard to evil. You can think about a lot of the documentaries you may watch 
Uh, there's one on, on Rupert Murdoch and his pyramid scheme and how he was scheming lots of people out of millions and millions of dollars. There's documentaries on sports schemes, on doping, on bicycling steroids and scandals and, and finances. That's just the way the world operates. We try to get ahead whatever it takes by cheating, strategizing for evil. And I would say that you were probably not as bad as me as an unbeliever, but your life may have been all about strategizing for ways to do wrong. Perhaps you used to manipulate people in relationships and figure it out how to get your way. Maybe you try to manipulate and cheat financially. And some of you were even strategizers in the way that you thought about to please yourself to pamper yourself. Some of you were strategizers in sexual morality and a variety of other moralities on the ways to make yourself God. And you try to pull that off. And so for all the strategizers of evil and schemers and shizers, and I just want to tell you this. God has a counter strategy. And his strategy was to send his son, Jesus, to die on the, on the cross for schemers, for shysters, and strategizers of evil, bearing wrath of the Father because of my sin and your sin, buried, rose again three days later. And the good news is, is that everyone, those who like to scheme for evil, strategize for evil, can be forgiven through repentance and faith in Jesus. That's God's counter strategy. And once we become believers, I want to tell you this. Once we become believers, get this. The strategizing is not over. But rather than strategizing for evil, we now strategize and make plans for good. As much effort as we put into trying to figure out how to do evil, we now put effort filled by the Holy Spirit on how to do good the work of God. And that's what we're going to see this morning in Romans 6. Let's get back to Romans chapter 6. Now we're in the process, if you've been paying attention to the last few weeks, we're in the process of building a case for Christ-like change. We're asking the question, do people really change? Good question, right? Can you really change? And so we've been making a case for Christ-like change. And the first thing we saw about a few weeks ago is expect a change. We confess our ruin and we receive rescue. And the second thing that we talked about was embracing your death and resurrection in union with Christ. Remember that last week? And if you were here on the first Sunday of January, LeVan preached also in Romans 6 about exercising your freedom, becoming who you are. And then today we're going to talk about strategizing for righteousness. Now, you got to get this, because some of you think that the Christian life is trying to figure out how to kill sin, right? Get rid of the evil. And so the Christian life is all about saying no, no, no. But we're also going to see the Christian life is also about saying yes, 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 figuring out ways to do that which is commanded in the Bible with regard to righteousness and holiness. So don't just think everything is just about throwing stuff off. It's also about putting things on. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Here we go. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. 
One of the purposes of the Old Testament law was to expose sin. And when you realize that you can't keep the law, it drives you to find forgiveness in the cross of Christ. And of course, that's grace. Now, the question is, does that mean that we are done with the commands of God and can just go on sinning? And Paul says, no way. May it never be. And then he elaborates, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Paul introduces this slavery metaphor that he's going to develop in this passage. And a lot of slaves during this time were slaves voluntarily, where they maybe had to pay off their debts, so they submitted to servitude. And the case Paul is making is that there is no middle ground. You either are a slave to unrighteousness and sin, or you're a slave to Christ and righteousness. You are either separated from God and a slave to sin and Satan, or you're in this righteousness of eternal life pleasing to him. Now get this, there's no middle ground, there's no, true, no neutrality. And, and I, I, wonder, I saw something this week. I don't know if you paid attention. In the, in the 90s, there was a scandal at Arizona State University with the basketball team. They were point shaving. A couple guys on the team were, were connecting with bookies to uh, basically tank the game and make it turn out exactly the way the gamblers wanted it to turn out. And it went on for game after game after game until they were finally busted. Because there was no middle ground. They couldn't go to a game and say, okay, I'm going to play for my team and also play for the bookie because it doesn't work that way. Eventually, you're going to get busted. And some of us think, okay, there must be a middle ground where I can love, uh, love my sin and also love God because it seems to be going pretty well. You know, you know you, it's been said by Jesus that you can't love God and money, and you're like, well, let me give it a try, okay? Let me just try, and Paul's like, no, no, there's no, there's no middle ground. You're going to be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. You're basically, basically going to pick. Who, who are you going to serve? No middle ground, no neutrality. That's, that's what he's getting at, all right? Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you got a little, a little edge on this. Uh, remember we talked about two fields, remember that? Uh, a field over here, imagine a field over here with a high stone wall completely su- surrounded and covered in and, and no doors. Field over here, high stone wall, and they share the middle wall. Remember this whole concept? Well, everybody is born as a slave to sin. Satan is our master, sin is our master, and we hear the gospel one day. We hear that Jesus forgives sin. Remember the crane of grace picks us up, takes us and puts us over this field ruled by Christ. He's now our master. We're now slaves to him. And then there's this this middle wall here. And the idea of of sanctification is Satan is still shouting over the wall, hey, come play with us. Hey, let's go have fun again. And the middle wall is like, no, you're moving further and further away. Say, no, no, I'm not going to give you the time of day. I'm going to walk in the life of holiness and righteousness. But get this, when you're in this field of righteousness, You're not just saying no to sin and no to Satan. You're in this field and you are a slave of Christ. 
You now obey him and you now think of ways to please him. You don't just keep thinking of ways, okay, how can I figure out how to kill sin? No, it's not just about putting off sin. It's also about walking in righteousness. And and that's what Paul has been getting out here. He's saying, look, you've thrown off this worldly sinful self and now you are a slave of righteousness. Act like it. Look at verse 19. I really like this. He really lays it out clear for me to understand. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Thank you. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now, I get that. I get that. You used to be all in in your slavery to sin, leading to more sin, now be all in in your slavery to Christ, leading to more righteousness. He says, just as you used to go all out in sin, leading to more sin, now go all out for Christ. Just as you used to strategize and, and passionately pursue sin, now, now, now strategize and, and passionately pursue Christ. Think about that. That's great. The energy that I use to pursue sin by the power of the Spirit, I'm now going to passionately and pursue righteousness. Let's get really specific. There's something I heard, and I just want to lay it out to you like this. I think this may be helpful. Think about it this way. Just as you used to run after money, think about all the ways that you used to strategize to make money. Think about all the tips and tricks you used to think through to make more and more money. Now use that same energy for generosity. And just as you used to use so much energy energy to covet and lust. Now use the power of the Holy Spirit to not just look upon, not not to look upon those to lust, but to look upon those who need help. And just as you use, use energy in your words to cut down others and tear down others, now use your words to build up and, and encourage others. And just as you used to be a, a manipulator of others, now think of strategies to serve them. I, this, this is amazing that what the imagery Paul's given here, just the way he used to passionately live this evil life, now live a life of slave to Christ and serve him. It's, it's amazing how that works. And as I was coming here today, I, I thought, when you, the Gideons, those, those guys, those guys strategize. They do. They strategize ways to get the Bible into the hands of people who need to know about Jesus. And I was thinking, is this just me? Am I just making this up? Did the Gideons really do that? And so I went to their website, and right on the front page, no joke, it says this. This is, this, I really appreciate the Gideons giving me a really good illustration. It says this. It says this on their, on their website. It says, while we are often recognized for our work with hotels, we also place and distribute scriptures in strategic locations So they are available to those who want them as well as to those who may not know that they need them. I love that. The Gideons are strategizers. They're thinking about ways, how can we get the word of God into the hands of people? They get together, they pray about it. They gather money about it. We gotta get the word of God out there. Let's get it spreading. Let's get it going beyond the hotels. Let's get it going around the world. And that's the way we're supposed to live our lives now thinking of ways, how can we live for the glory of God? Too many people just assume, well, now I'm a Christian. It's just going to come naturally. Not necessarily, right? There has to be some 
some thought and some heart in the way we're going to live our life for Christ. And that's what Paul's getting at. Look at verse 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Think about the things you used to do before you're a believer. It's, 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 it's so, so embarrassing. I told you about me cheating on the ACT. That's just embarrassing. I got lots of other stories with it that I don't even want to tell you. It's just so embarrassing, and, it, and, it, and it, it's just shameful. And you can just think about some of the things you did. I mean, just, I know, I mean, I know you're thinking, okay, I've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years, but there's probably a good chance that a significant amount of you have been drunk and think, oh, that was so dumb, and just the shame that comes after that. And just think about some of the times that you've wasted so much money or time. He's like, you don't even talk about it. It's just, it's, just, it's embarrassing, and, it, and it's shameful. And, and you know the phrase, um, I know you know the phrase, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And, and, and I understand that, like whatever happens there, the sin that you do there stays there, but the, but the shame doesn't stay there. The shame follows you. You're like, oh, and, and you're embarrassed and you feel ashamed for what, you, what you've, you've done. And so I think we need to create a new phrase for Christians, and, and I found this to be very helpful for me, is what happens at the cross stays at the cross, like, really, what happens there, yeah, it's, it stays there. Christ bore my foolishness, my sin, and all the embarrassment and shame from that, and I, I'm forgiven. So we don't have to walk around and go, oh, man, I was such an idiot. I, I feel so bad and shameful. What I, look, it's, it's taken care of on the cross. You're now under the lordship of Christ. He's now your master, and, and you really are forgiven. And if, if you've, if, if maybe, maybe that's, that's not you. Maybe you're like, really? That stuff can be taken away? Yeah, yeah, you can be forgiven in Jesus. It, yeah, even for that one thing. Yep, yeah, that thing too. You can be forgiven in Jesus. There's freedom in Christ. We can now serve him. Clean slate. Righteousness given to us. Well, let's, let's finish up. This is, this is exciting, Patrick. Let's finish up. Right, verse 22 and 23. But now, having been freed from sin, amen, and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, we keep coming back to this slave of God. It's a life of righteousness and fruit bearing, and this, is, this fruit is not shame, but sanctification on the way to eternal life. The sanctification has the idea of being used by the Lord. Do you realize that when you're in this field, you can say, Lord, I'm here by grace. I don't deserve this. Like, I don't know, I'm sure none of you, but if anybody was paying any attention to the NBA dunk contest last night, probably none of you, well, there's this dude, I kid you not, this, this white boy, six foot two, basically from the G League, somehow crossing over a little bit in the NBA, he beat out everybody. Everybody. He scored 50s. I mean, he just dominated. And all these NBA stars just could not believe it. They're freaking out. And he's being interviewed, and he's like, I'm just glad I'm here. 
he wasn't being arrogant or boasting. He's like, I'm just glad I'm here. That's us, right? We're like, save my grace. I'm, I'm just glad I'm here. And when we're here, we're like, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you want me to do? Use me as you see fit. Whatever, Lord. I'll, whatever. Whatever your word says, I'll do it. Do it, Lord. Whatever. Use me as you see fit. I'm sure a lot of you know that there is um, kind of this stirring in revivals breaking out among college students on different college campuses, and it kind of started at Asbury. And my daughter, I talked to her like a week ago. I said, hey, you should go. You should go. She's at Covenant College in Georgia. I said, you should go. I know you go to this Presbyterian Calvinistic school, but you should go and check it out. And so she drove four or five hours, and she, she gets there, and there's super long line to get in. You should see it online. The line to even get in to the chapel is super long. And she's standing there with, with a family, and they're, like, talking to her, being nice to her, and they're like, Jordan, what's your dream? And then Jordan started saying, you know, my dream is the Lord is stirring me to reach a people group that is very difficult to reach with the gospel. And Jordan explained to them how she is making plans and a strategy that this summer she is going to work among this people group and share the gospel. She's basically saying, Lord, use me however you see fit. And so I I looked to you, and if I came up to you, I said, hey, what's your dream? Like, well, I was dreaming last night about pizza. No, I'm not talking about that. No, you're like, oh, I used to have dreams back in my 20s. Oh, those are the days. No, no, what's your dream right now on how the Lord can still use you to impact his kingdom? He's not passed you by. He still has a plan for you, a specific plan for you. It's no mistake that you're here. He, he has a plan. So, so what's your dream in his kingdom as you obey his word? What's your plan? What's your strategy? And I want to get you thinking about this because I, I think that God has called us to impact the world. And I think the Lord has called us to impact those in our families. And I want you to, I want you to think about this impact. I want to call this group the outside group. These are people that, are, that you don't know, okay? They may be the orphans or... Widows, widowers, the sick, the vulnerable. And I ask you, I say, are you doing something to impact the world? And you say, yeah, I have a heart for it, but I don't have a plan. And I say, well, maybe you need to get a plan. And so for those of you who are like, man, I really feel like the Lord is stirring me to to help parents care for their foster kids. And if that's the case, you have to make a plan to go through some training. And some of you go, well, I just really have a, a heart to serve in the nursing home or at the hospital. Okay, good. Make a plan to fill out the application. Get the, get the process going. Some of you go, well, I just have a plan. I just have a heart for the people in the church, you know. I want to help those in the church. I want to be part of Stephen's ministry. Let me do it. No, no. You got to go through a plan. You got to get organized. You got to go through the process. So there are some ways that God is stirring many of you up, but you're just sitting there going, I've thought about this, but I'm not doing anything about it. Well, you, it's, today's the day to get going. Today's the day to fill out the application, to say, okay, I'm going to get a plan to start serving 
the way the Lord wants me to serve. But then there's people inside your group. These are the people that you know. Your neighbors, grandkids. And God also wants you to have a plan to reach them and to encourage them. You're like, well, I'm gonna, I need my, someone to share the gospel with my neighbor. That would be you. Yeah. What's your plan? You gonna have them over? And you can think about your grandkids. What's your plan in praying for them and reaching out to them? I mean, sometimes you may not think this, but like I have a lot of kids, like way too many, okay? And so one of the worst days of my week, you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> Pastor LeVan and Pastor Jim and all the office staff know that <laughs> I like working and I don't like going home. Just to be honest with you, all right? There's times... That's the case, all right? Not always. Okay, I'm trying to get better. But Saturdays are the worst day because I'm home all day. And some, some Saturday mornings, I'm not joking, I get up and I'm journaling and I have to get a plan. Lord, help me to love these children today. Lord, give me a plan on what to do with them today. No, no joke. And you're like, Man, that's a great idea. I need to do that with my husband. You know, it's like, I need to wait. Lord, help me to deal with this man today. But there are people in your life, right, that you got to get a plan to love them and to serve them. So I think today is the day for commitment. What is your dream? What is God calling you to do? If you say, Lord, here I am, use me, I'll do whatever you want. All right, what's the next step? Today is a day for commitment. For we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer strategizing and planning for sin. Slaves of Christ. Slaves of righteousness. And we're alive today. And we want to make plans to serve him for his glory. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Guided by God's Meanwhile, word. have a blessed day as you walk along the way 